Mark McCullough's career took him to a place he never expected. I can honestly say I, I never had my sights on an executive position. And presented him with challenges that pushed his leadership abilities. We had to tell many employees that their plants weren't going to be there in a few years. And those are very tough messages and, and employee meetings to move through. On this episode of Connected, the AEP Employee Podcast. As Mark McCullough enters retirement, he talks about the decisions that change generation at AEP. I could have taken the position, we need to keep operating these plants. And I could have battled at, at the executive team level, but I couldn't find my way to do that because I knew it wasn't best for the future of all. As well as the lessons he's learned along the way. Your value is not in your power plant in its future. Your value is in how you're going at uh, the challenges every day. And why the most meaningful moments of his career were often the most difficult. Thank you for joining us. I'm Bailey Coltice. Mark McCullough is someone who's had an impact on AEP during his time here. Mark joined the company in 1981 as a performance engineer where he tested equipment at the Tanner's Creek plant in Lawrenceburg, Indiana. From there, He made his way up through the ranks, eventually becoming the executive vice president of Generation at a time when AEP decided to move away from coal-fired Generation. Mark made difficult decisions about plant closures and sales that changed the face of Generation at AEP. Mark is now the executive vice president of Energy Delivery, and after 40 years with the company, he's retiring from the only place he has ever worked. I sat down with Mark shortly before his retirement on July 31st to talk about the changes he's seen and made during his time at AEP. Mark, thank you for joining me today. Happy to be here, Bailey. Thank you so much. You're getting ready to make a major life change that many of our employees are also making. So where's your head at right now? It's actually in a really good place. I'm looking forward to leveraging what everyone at AEP has taught me over 40 years to um, help others in nonprofit and profit world as they try to navigate the tough issues of of business and social issues today. So also looking forward to some more family time. And uh, we're expecting our fifth grandchild in September. So yeah, my mind's in a great place. Thank you. Yeah, well, because you really have had a huge impact on AEP and you've been here for a long time. Long time. Let's go back to June 15th of 1981. It was your first day at AEP. What brought you here? Yeah, so um, a couple of facts. I, I graduated college at Rose-Hulman Institute of Technology in Terre Haute, Indiana, and was married two weeks after that, and then started my work at Tanner's Creek Plant for AEP two weeks after that, so on June 15th. And uh, so that, that all happened very quickly, and uh, AEP stood out for a couple of reasons. The culture and legacy of AEP as an innovator and really strong reputation in the industry was, uh, was something that mattered as well. So I knew I was going to learn a lot. Uh, and I, I wanted to get my hands dirty, and I'm so glad I did. It was, uh, it was an awesome experience. It was some very tough work. <laughs> Power plants in the summer are crazy hot and in the winter are crazy cold and in places. So and the work is generally, you know, hard work. So 
but working alongside the people there and learning from them was awesome. You started out in the field, essentially, and yeah. came up. And so tell me about that experience of coming up through the ranks and then eventually coming to lead the organization that you've been in your entire career. Yeah, um, I can honestly say I, I never had my sights on an executive position. I can remember in the early days at Tanner's Creek, the maintenance superintendent secretary would refer to me as a plant manager in training. And I thought, she's crazy. There's no way I'll ever be a plant manager. And I, I, really, I really didn't believe that at the time. But the more I, I gained confidence and knowledge about the power plant and how to work with people and how to engage them, I wanted more responsibility. I wanted a bigger challenge, and I was lucky enough to, to get that. Mark, you took over AEP's fossil and hydro generation operations in 2008, and then in 2010, you were named EVP for all generation activities. Can you talk about the situation you came into there and what your team had to work through? Yeah, very interesting and challenging times. Um, I think everyone will recall that prior, just prior to that time, the coal plants had incredible value. We were delivering capacity and energy to our customers at a fraction of what market was. The next marginal price of energy came from natural gas uh, plants. And, and because the price of natural gas was so volatile, all, all our gas at that time came from the Gulf. And so whenever there was a hurricane, the price would spike from $3 a million BTU to sometimes over 10. And that would drive the price, marginal price of energy up and up and up. Uh, so that you know our coal plants are generating at say $25 a megawatt hour. And when prices were $10 a million for gas, the gas plants were at, by comparison generating at over $100 a megawatt hour. So we were, you know, a fraction of what uh, those other technologies could deliver at. That was our culture to deliver every day. Units needed to run, and we needed to fund them to do that. And and we were selling excess energy from the coal plants. Some years approaching a billion dollars of revenue. So they were incredibly valuable. The culture at the plants was uh, we need to run every hour we can for the benefit of the customers and the company, the shareholder. That was preceding 2008. We had the recession. At about the same time, um, fracking was also uh, becoming much more prevalent. Regulations for coal were climbing. So we were building a lot of retrofits to reduce SO2, reduce, no reduce NOx emissions, and then came mercury, which really spelled kind of the end for many of our older co uh, coal plants. The expense was just going to be too big for our, our smaller, older units. The challenge for the team then kind of moving out of that period where we're so valuable and moving into a time where we're much more marginal and even out of the money, all of a sudden, our role wasn't to run every hour. It was to be really smart and run only when we needed to run 
be ready to run when we needed to run and at the same time back our costs off to meet that profile. It was really a difficult message to articulate. And we began doing it, by the way, in 2010, we had the voluntary severance plan and staffing reduced at really all of our plants and central. And then we began to see the need to really staff minimally those plants that we called disposition units that we knew were not going to run for you know more than five six seven years and so we staffed them very lightly operation operated them seasonally like high loads in the winter high loads in the summer and then outside of that employees from those plants traveled to others so which was hard culturally given where we came from, it required uh, a really clear description of the why. Why do we need to do this? Kind of in parallel with that was a recognition that because of all the investment that had been made in generation for the prior 20 years, other parts of the company went without, Wireside particularly. So we also had a role in reducing our capital investment on the tail end of those retrofits such that transmission investment could take place that was sorely needed, you know, 100-year-old transmission lines and, and distribution lines that really needed capital. All of that transition really kind of in an urgent way required leadership to, to hone their skills around articulating why and engaging people at, the, at all levels of the organization. Very hard. Very challenging, but one of the better times of my career, honestly. Really? Uh, yes. Why? Because the challenge of seeing someone move through uh, an entrenched position that we got to run, we got to run, we got to run, and finally, um, pardon the pun, the light bulb going on and understanding, wait a minute, this does make sense. We're not in the same place economically. We're not in the money like we were. And we do need to find other ways to bring customer and shareholder value. And so that journey really gave leaders and generation a confidence that we were doing the right thing for the customer and a shareholder. And everybody could align with that and help us get to the new goals and objectives, right? They're, we're not earning a billion dollars a year in excess generation revenue any longer. It's less than 100, 100 million. It's, it's tiny compared to what it was. So, um, and that, that took more than just a year or two to, to kind of cascade down through the organization. And then of course, in the middle of that, we did come to the conclusion that we had to tell many employees that their plants weren't going to be there in a few years. And those are very tough messages and, and employee meetings to move through. Yeah, because I, th I think it's kind of hard when I hear you say that, you know, it was, it was a good time in our, my career. And then I also, the, you know, my first thought kind of goes to, I get it with the managers and getting the message down and getting everything right. Then there's also a lot of people who it did negatively affect. It did. Um, yeah, it was an incredible life lesson for all of us, right? You know, your value is not in your power plant and its future. Your value is in how you're going at uh, the challenges every day and how you're 
casting a shadow that helps others get it done. And so we did our best to hold jobs open at what we call keeper plants for those that were driving that kind of culture where it's can do despite what's happening here. I have to do everything I can to keep this thing running because that's our contract with our customers, right? The ones that are paying our bills. And as I do that, I'm building a brand for myself and my team that regardless of what's happened, I've got skill sets and both job skills and life skills that somebody's going to find valuable and they're going to pay me to do the kind of things I've been doing. Uh, so we offered, again, those positions inside the company, and we're doing that today, by the way, across the company. And we offered you know, strong recommendations outside the company. So that's why I characterize it as one of the more meaningful times in my career is because while closing a plant or losing your current job is a tough experience, it's not the end. There's more. You have skills, you have an ability, you have a shadow that's going to make a difference somewhere, someplace, somehow. And we want to build the confidence in you, in you to live that out and have a, a sense of fulfillment as you're doing it. It's interesting how you phrase that because it's very much you could have really gone down two paths. You could have focused on trying to keep something going that wasn't going to work or you could face this change head on and figure out a way to make things work based on the way that we were seeing in reality. Can you tell me about the process you went through to accept this, what a lot of people would characterize as bad news, and ultimately go down the path of doing what needed to be done and making the best out of it? Yeah, I had had some experiences Earlier in my career, one was coming up to um, the first time I came to Columbus and we had just reorganized. We downsized power plants and we'd formed a, a regional service organization, the RSO. It's still around today. I was the first manager of the regional service organization and it required us to develop a, an agreement with the union. And, and so what we did, we were home-basing employees at, at power plants and work there during home base, and then they'd travel and do outage work across the whole region. And so they needed compensation for that travel. So moving through that, I came to the conclusion, and, and there was logic from the union standpoint that they should be paid a certain amount per diem. But as I looked at it, I knew that they were pricing themselves out of the market if I gave them what they were seeking by logical conclusion. So I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't agree to something that looked logical and looked fair because I knew it wasn't going to work long term. And my call, I felt, was to provide a future for these employees. So. I had to drive a hard bargain around that so there was that future. And it turned out fine. The per diem ended up being very fair, I think, and I think they do too. And the RSO is still around and providing great value to the plants. And so that background and kind of using that experience to help me uh, and the team navigate through hard discussions knowing that 
all these assets have finite lives. So whether they retire three or four years from now or 10 or 15 years from now, it's never gonna be easy. And the reality is we could show very clearly that investing that much in that old plant that had all these other issues that needed to be addressed really didn't make business sense for the customer or the shareholder. And, and that's who we're obligated to serve. I could have taken the position, we need to keep operating these plants. And I could have battled at, at the executive team level, but I couldn't find my way to do that because I knew it wasn't best for the future of all or the future of one. And so let's move on to the next technology, the next lasting sustainable strategy that's best for the employees in their future. So this is going to be the last question. If you could go back to yourself in 1981 during your first month at Tanner's Creek, what advice would you give yourself then? That's a really hard question because uh, I've learned so many lessons over the years the hard way. Um, but a, a couple come to mind. I think, um, actually, <laughs> you, you're in the business of communication. I don't think most leaders have an appreciation for communication skills. Uh, I didn't. And I remember Bob Powers over and over again uh, explaining to us about the rule of eights. Until you say something eight times, people don't really hear it or certainly don't internalize it and, and understand it. So uh, communication is more than sending out an email or saying something at a meeting, expecting everybody gets it and they're gung-ho and, and aligned and it's all going to go um, very well. Um, it, it's, it's hard. You know, there is a quote, I can't remember who it's attributed to, but the biggest challenge with communication is the illusion that has taken place. And that is absolutely true. So um, we, we really do have to commit ourselves to communicating with clarity and in a way that connects. And usually that involves dialogue more than pushing out a memo or speaking in front of a group just one time. I, I'm still learning about how to do that better, but I could have I could have been much further down the path by now if I had started early on that. The other thing is just assuring relationships are as strong as I think they are. It's uh, many times over my career, I have assumed things about how others were uh, seeing my team's performance, contribution, and only find out later I was off. They didn't perceive it the way I thought they did. And, and that caused some misunderstanding and some problems, and it would have all been avoided had I been skilled at you know, reaching out periodically and saying, we okay here? Do you understand this? Do, do I need to provide you more information? Um, or you know, just tell me what your concerns are and how I, can, how I can help. Those are really big items that I could have worked on earlier in my career and, and gotten a lot better and, and helped my teams a lot more. Young Mark would appreciate it. 
<laughs> you would appreciate the advice, wouldn't he? Oh, no doubt. No doubt. <laughs> it's, um, it's a shame that we can't kind of go back in time and do a few things like that, but that's what life and career is all about. You learn along the way. Hopefully, I've been able to share some of those pain points in a way with others that they can avoid some of the mistakes that I made. Well, now you're going to share them with more people. Hope so. Right here, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for the opportunity, by the way. Well, and thank you for being here, and congratulations on your retirement. Thank you. It was great to talk to you. Likewise. If you like this episode, please click to subscribe. If you're listening to this episode through Buzzsprout, consider switching to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. That way you'll never miss an episode. We post new stories every other week. Thank you for listening and stay safe.